0: You're listening to PX Space, a patient experience podcast devoted to the human side of healthcare. With your hosts, Ashton Elder and Linda Robinson, the Vice President of Clinical Excellence at MDM Healthcare. So today on PX Space, I am very excited because we have a very special guest. It is actually my sister. Uh, Dr. Aaron Elder. And as everyone knows, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I was just so excited to have my sister, who is a breast cancer surgeon, join Linda and I today um, to talk about the topic on the podcast. Hey, Alexa, how are you?
1: Good. It's great to be here with you guys.
0: And if I call her Alexa, guys, that is what um, our family calls her by her middle name. But yeah, she is Dr. Aaron Elder. So I'll just explain the confusion there for anyone who might have thought that. Um, But anyway, um, Linda, you had some great questions for her.
2: Well, Alexa, it's great to meet you. I'm very excited about this topic. I think everyone listening, I myself, we all know someone that has been diagnosed with breast cancer and how devastating just hearing that diagnosis can be, um, not only to the patient, but the family. And I just want to commend you for, for doing um, you know, choosing a profession that is extremely difficult, but allows you to really touch people's lives. And um, so I guess first my first question would be: you know, how did you get into this field? What was your passion?
1: well you know most breast surgeons start out training with general surgery so we get an exposure to a wide range of different surgical um, fields Um, but i got an early exposure to the breast cancer field um, through some mentors at my training program and i just really loved working with the patients Um, a lot of breast cancer patients are healthy women who you know this is probably the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their lives, and they're very great patients. They're very motivated to, uh, like, take on this challenge, and it's just uh, a rewarding field to be in because the patients are so great.
2: That's neat. So, you know, like you said, probably a lot of them are younger as well, and, you know— um, when you think about the education process here or health literacy, because like you said, most of them, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their life. I mean, I remember being a young mother, the worst thing to me was when my daughter got off of the bus and someone had hurt her feelings for the first time, you know, and so the, you know women in their, their early 30s, you're right that it's so new, but so how do you guide them on um, how to navigate the system? Um, you know, and and the whole process of having breast cancer from the initial um, diagnosis to to surgery to treatment and to life after.
1: So, um, most patients um, find out they have breast cancer just based on screening mammograms. So, a lot of patients have no symptoms, and their um, breast cancers are just found um, based on their screening mammogram. Um, But some patients do have symptoms. Usually that's a palpable mass. um, Or like a change in like the thickness of the breast, or some changes to the skin. Some patients do have pain, but that's actually fairly rare. But so by far, most patients uh, breast cancers are found on imaging, so uh, most patients kind of start out even if they have symptoms. Imaging is kind of the first thing that they get so often their diagnosis is. Given after they have um, some breast imaging, either a mammogram or ultrasound, typically, um, and a biopsy. So, I often see patients, um, they already have the diagnosis. Um, so, you know, um, unfortunately, breast cancer is fairly common. Uh, about one in eight women get breast cancer. So, there's a very established system um, for treating breast cancer patients. So, often patients, once they get a diagnosis, come in for initial intake with the breast cancer surgeon. And we often discuss um, a whole range of topics related to the breast cancer and their care.
2: That's neat. I I think in other areas, it's not quite so um, formal the way it's done. So that's, that's that's very neat to hear. So what are some new emerging technologies as far as breast cancer? I know, you know, prevention is huge well, I, I don't know if it's so much prevention, but making sure that you get those mammograms um, in order, like you said, because it's a symptomless problem. So what are some um, emerging technologies that maybe are being utilized today um, that weren't you know, five years ago?
1: So um, there's a lot of different technologies within the surgery um, realm, uh, but we can start with screening. Um, For a while now, MRI has been utilized some in breast cancer care. Um, Not everyone gets an MRI, but in certain patients it can be really useful to evaluate the breast. They are working on making those MRIs um, shorter for patients, and um, by making them shorter, it's just easier for patients to tolerate them. A lot of patients don't like being um, enclosed. The MRI is an enclosed exam, um, and it's quite loud. It makes like a loud clicking noise um so the patients uh, some patients have claustrophobia so making that shorter for them would be um, better and they're working on that um so shorter versions of the mri less time um then in surgery there's all sorts of technology for localizing the breast cancers so when we talk about breast cancer surgery options uh one of the options is to remove just where the cancer is so if you can't feel the cancer from the outside in order to find the right spot we often use technology to locate the spot at surgery. So there's a whole different kind of technology on that field. Um, there's mar- They're called the markers, and there's markers that um, basically emit radiation that we can use to help locate it. There's markers that use um, radio waves. Um, they reflect radio waves back at, at you so that we you know the distance, we are away from the cancer. And there's a magnetic one that's used as well, as among others. So. Um, I'm always seeing kind of new technology on the localization fields, Mm -hmm. Um, but there are also some new technologies in identifying lymph nodes, um, different uh, materials that can be injected to help us identify lymph nodes. um, And some additional technologies for identifying the margins or the edges of the cancer. So there's a lot um, in the surgery space um, that kind is emerging in the last few Mm -hmm. years to kind of make the surgery more accurate.
2: That's really neat. I I have a background in ICU and the emergency department, so I really had very little um, experience with with what you do. Um, So, as you said, there's there's different surgery options. Um, You know, you hear, and like I said, I don't have experience with this, but you hear about breast sparing surgery. Is, is that something that you were kind of alluding to before as a surgery option?
1: Yeah, so not every patient has that option, but a lot mm-hmm. of patients do. If their breast cancer is small in relation to their breast total breast size, um, they often can um, have what's called uh, breast conservation surgery or breast sparing surgery. Um, with that surgery instead of removing then all the breast tissue we actually remove just where the cancer is and include like a rim of normal tissue almost like a peach like you want the center the pit to be the cancer and then you want to keep a little bit of normal tissue like the peach flesh on the outside so that you're not cutting into the cancer so if you can't sometimes the cancers are very small like a few millimeters and sometimes they're bigger but if you can't see them you have to be able to find it at surgery. So that's where some of those newer technologies come in and help us find it. Before those were invented to do that surgery, they actually used long skinny wires um, made out of metal. And so those metal wires were placed into the breast and would actually stick out the side of the skin. Um, and the patients would have to have that for uh, a few hours before their surgery. So um, so we do still do that some, but not very often. These newer technologies are all kind of underneath the skin, so that they can be placed Mm -hmm. ahead of time. They're less cumbersome for the patient um, because they're not dealing with something sticking out of their skin.
2: Right. um, That sounds absolutely awful, to be quite honest with you. Yeah.
1: Um, So it's nice that those new technologies were um, are being utilized. And they have. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of
2: a Mohs procedure a little bit. Some of the marker stuff that you're talking about, finding the edges exactly where you know what I mean. Um, I'm thinking just where kind of where my brain went. Um, so, so do you? What are the recommendations? So, um, after the surgery, um, chemo versus radiation? Where does where does that or or is that a realm that you um, you work in?
1: Yeah. Well, um, so, most breast cancer um, patients have three doctors. So, I'm the a surgical oncologist. I do surgery. There's a medical oncologist, they give things like chemotherapy and um, different pills, like endocrine, things that adjust your hormones. And then um, there's radiation oncologists or the doctors that give radiation. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of this kind of all interacts. So I often talk to patients about those options, too. So uh, radiation and chemotherapy uh, are recommended each um, individually for different reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. Patients often need both um, or neither um, or one or the other. Uh, radiation um, is always given if we do breast conservation. So if we leave any breast behind on the cancer side, we pretty much always give radiation to that breast. Now, if you remove the whole breast, it's sometimes given, sometimes if the cancer's large or if the lymph nodes are involved. Um, so radiation depends more on the what surgery you do and then right. also your lymph nodes. Um, because the radiation can help treat the lymph nodes too. That's chemotherapy is a separate conversation. Mm-hmm. So the chemotherapy doesn't necessarily depend on the radiation. It's kind of a separate, decision the chemotherapy is really based on um, how big the breast cancer is uh, if the lymph nodes are involved but also um, there's these things that we test for that help us know the risk of the cancer so we actually test to see if the cancer responds to female hormones estrogen and progesterone and we also check for this um, protein it's called HER2, H-E-R-2 and mm-hmm. um, Th- those different uh, things are called receptors, and if the cancer has those, it shows that um, they may be at risk, um, from, uh, and we could use those to for their treatments. So, patients who have none of those positive, which is something called triple negative cancer, or patients that have the HER2 positive often get chemotherapy because those are higher risk cancers. So, we use that information to decide that. Now, sometimes patients who have the hormones positive, but the HER2 negative, sometimes they get chemotherapy, but often they don't. And how we decide on those patients is there's actually a special genetic test of the tumor. There's a couple different ones, but um, you can send it and it basically gives you a risk score about the cancer. And so it's genetic testing the tumor, and then you get a score. And the score basically tells you how much you would benefit from chemotherapy. So a lot of those patients, we find that there's no benefit to chemotherapy and they get to avoid it. So, oh, yeah. um, there's, you know, it's very kind of individualized care within the breast cancer realm mm-hmm. based on your particular tumor that, what it responds to and, you know, its size genetically, <laughs> genetically, yeah. genetically.
2: Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And, you know, uh, Linda and Alexa, you guys are the medical professionals. I'm just the, um, the marketer who works for MDM healthcare, but I know when I started at MDM healthcare, I was really excited to tell you, Alexa, about, the patient experience software we have, JourneyPX, because it does, I think it's really neat that it has um, a lot of capabilities that offer pa- patients a more holistic approach to healing while they're in the hospital. Um, and uh, one of those things is uh, education and calming meditation videos. We just had actually the founder and CEO of MedCalm talking about sort of the um, guided meditation, for patients and healing I just didn't know if you had any thoughts about um like any difference um that a holistic approach takes after surgery and um and those types of um, education and calming apps and things how that would help a patient get ready for discharge
1: yeah so um you know, when patients get cancer diagnoses, um, they often have a lot of anxiety, which is very understandable. So, I think that would be helpful for them just to, like, have some of these other um, things to help them cope. Um, and then a lot of patients are interested in um, what they can do personally um, to help with their cancer. So, I think a lot of people feel uh, lack of control um, of like personal control over their um, body when they find out they have cancer. And so a lot of people are wanting to know, what should I eat, what should I do? Is there anything I can do other than like, you know, what the doctors recommend that would help me. So I think a lot of patients are interested in um, holistic approaches and um, some of these other, um, more like what we call integrative health, Things, but yeah, definitely. If a patient was diagnosed with cancer while inpatient, it would be helpful to have um, those type of um, resources. Um, it's less common for patients to be diagnosed with breast cancer inpatient since a lot don't have symptoms, but it mm-hmm. does come up sometimes. Um, sometimes patients. You know, if they're not, ha- they don't have resources to get their screening mammograms, or if for some reason they weren't able to go get them, sometimes they do show up with a mask to the emergency department or mm-hmm. um, something like that. So, you know, that's hard for those patients because they might not be seeing like a specialist at that time. So they can really get some of that diagnostic information from some of those resources. Mm-hmm. I also think like that's helpful um, using that type of system because people learn in different ways. So I find like a lot of times um, the appointments with patients take like an hour and they get all this information and it's hard for them to absorb it. Especially if the patients, you know, that's not the way they learn is have someone talk to them. So it might be helpful to be able to read it or to have something that they can like read at their own pace um, so that they can get the information in a different way. That may be more uh, to their learning style.
2: Other options would be yeah. the ability for them to. Um, have that information
1: texted to them,
2: maybe in a video form or emailed to them, or if they're inpatient. I know after the surgery, oftentimes they are inpatient, and a lot of that education, as you said, occurs before they're admitted. But then afterwards, there are the ability for guided meditation and healing um, music and that type of um, calming um, video simulation But then also the education portion of that when you talked about diet, exercise, well-being, healthy healthy behaviors, things like that, because of course you look inward and you think, did I do anything to cause this? But that's a great way with a system like Journey PX when you can have that in the room and not only can the nurses, um, you know, assign education to the patient that is particular about their surgery, we, we actually have clients that do um, a mastectomy education after every mastectomy, but then they have the ability to watch that education over and over if they would like. Um, and then, of course, the nurses do teach backs, which is so very important, making sure, verifying that the patient understands the education. But all that stuff adds to the health literacy um, of what you do and how they navigate the system going forward once they're discharged, and are they ready for discharge? So that's. It's very exciting to be able to marry the two things because you have so much, like you said, when they come in and as soon as they see that there's something there, they start educating the patient. And this helps when someone's not there maybe and maybe family comes into the room and it gives them the opportunity to share that education and information with their loved ones. Because, of course, as we said, they're going through it as well.
0: do you have anything else for alexa before i ask a final question no
2: i think you know um i think one we kind of covered it but one thing that um people you know always always seem to ask and it's not only about breast cancer but it's in healthcare in general and i get phone calls and i'm sure alexa you do too um you know, when family calls and said, this is what's wrong with me, or this is this, that's that. When I go to the doctors, what should I ask? So, you know, you think about patients that maybe have no risk factors to develop cancer, and they do. And then there's those that have respect factors that don't. And, um, you know, people really do feel overwhelmed and lost at this point. So what do you um, what would you encourage someone, maybe that's listening to this, this podcast, what would you encourage them to ask um, when they come to see, um, or when they come to you? What would you encourage them to ask?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the main thing with breast care is just understanding, like, your individual tumor characteristics and how that impacts your um, outcomes, but also your choices in treatment. Um, so I think it's just important to like fully, you know, ask and understand, you know, your your particular cancer since it is so individualized. Um, That's excellent then, advice. Yeah, so, but then, you know, try not to, I think the patient wants, to, I have more like what not to ask than what to ask. I feel like people focus too much on st- what uh, stage, um, like what stage mm-hmm. their cancer is. That's what everyone wants to know. Um, right. You know, luckily, um, throughout like most of the stages of breast cancer, patients actually do really well and have really high survival rates. Um, So I don't want them to get all bogged down on the stage uh, because even if they're a slightly higher stage, they still have a really good um, chance of doing well. Uh, And so I don't want them to like hyper focus on that and then like. Mm -hmm be too anxious because um, also a lot of the staging, we can't really give you a true stage until we do surgery. So uh, that gives us like, the true size and the true lymph nodes. So it's hard to like give you that information up front, but it also in some ways isn't the right thing to focus on. Right. I think and right you do focus- hear that. Yeah. You
2: do hear that people asking, well, what, you know, what stage is it? And to instead focus on your unique individual um, tumor, as you tumor. said, you know, yeah. right, right, because the
1: stages and, were developed to like give estimates on survival, and so they, mm-hmm. they group people into groups to give them a survival estimate, but um, that's like the only, the main utilization of it, it does give us somehow like guidance on treatments, but um, I think patients, you know, will see these stages and then not really understand what they mean, um, and it just gets them un- unnecessary fear, um, so mm-hmm. Try not to focus on stage just focus on you know the few options that you need to decide what to do and uh, and try to you know you know understand your individual cancer and what it responds to and what um how that impacts your care
2: excellent advice
0: well i'm i'm just so incredibly proud i have to say of you alexa and i'm, Thanks, I'm so glad that you had all this really great information to share with us and You know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so you know, Mm I I guess mammograms are the most important thing right in prevention to message to get out there and is it just women or should men be having them or how often?
1: Yeah, just women actually. Yeah, Um, usually um, so the national guidelines. Some say starting at 40 and some say starting at 50. Many women do start at 40, um, which a lot of organizations recommend. Um, some other countries like the UK um, may do it like later um, than 40 or less often than once a year but for the most part I see patients getting mammograms once a year starting age 40. Patients younger than 40 um, sometimes are recommended for screening mammograms Mm -hmm. or even MRIs and those patients are recommend that usually based on individual risk factors Mm -hmm. so um, the primary care doctors often uh, if they start seeing risk factors like multiple family members with breast cancer or other risk factors can use a special calculator that gives them a risk score and if a patient's found to have a greater than life lifetime risk of 20 percent of breast cancer they often can start mammograms at 30 and also can start mris at 25. so there is some options out there if you feel like you're at high risk it might be worth asking your primary care doctor if they could calculate a risk score for you to see if you fall in that category of greater than 20%. Now the national average risk is like 12 to 13%, so it's slightly above average risk. But once you're over 20%, a lot of insurance companies will cover that additional early screening. So
2: they also do some genetic testing as well, correct?
1: Yeah, Some yes. sometimes people also get genetic testing as well. Mm -hmm. the price of that has come down significantly over the last few years so it's opened up a lot more availability for patients to get it and a lot more insurances cover it
2: that's great that's great this is such an important topic and again um i know you're ashton's sister but i'm proud of you too (laughs) (laughs) this is wonderful i mean it it is um you know you're you're truly saving lives you are making a big difference in people's lives and um and this is faced by so many women and some men But like you said, um, the incidence in women is, I believe you said one in nine and that's incredible. Yeah, one
1: in eight.
2: One in eight, incredible.
1: Well, it's just
0: um, such a a pleasure having you, Alexa, on um, our podcast. Thank you so much for all the um, important information you shared with us today. And listeners, we are gonna be putting more information about Dr. Elder um, on the podcast post. And the link to her hospital, which is Oshner, right, Alexa. Oshner yes. in New Orleans.
1: In New Orleans, Louisiana.
0: Yes, to check her out a little bit more or maybe even contact her if you are in need of a doctor <laughs> information for about her. So um thank you so much, Linda. Any final thoughts for Alexa?
1: Um, no, thank you for having me on. Have a nice day. Thank yeah, you, you for
2: too, coming Alexa. on. No problem.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Okay. Thank you for
0: listening to PX Space. For more information, head to our website at journeypx.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our monthly newsletter.